0: com slash ACAST. This is not a diving podcast with Scuba.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A diving podcast. Okay, just before we get started this week, I need to update you on what I'm doing this weekend, which is pertinent to those of you listening in North America. So I'm playing this Thursday, the 18th of August at Flash in Washington, DC. On the 19th of August, Friday night, I will be at Goodroom in New York City, Brooklyn. And on Saturday night, 20th of August... I will be at Smart Bar in Chicago. Now, those are three clubs which I love, absolutely love those three rooms. And I'm super excited to play them again for the first time in a few years. So if you're in any of those places, then yeah, come down, have a dance. It's going to be fun. I'm going to play some techno and some dubby stuff and some bassy stuff, some 140 stuff. And yeah, it's going to be awesome. So yeah, full details on my website, scubaofficial.io. This week on the show, we have Danny Days who is a really interesting guy from Miami. He is someone who has had quite a varied career in music and is involved in all sorts of other stuff too, as we discover on this show. He's someone who has forthright opinions and we get into those opinions. I'm just going to qualify something that I say in this conversation because I feel it does need a little bit of clarification or a little bit of... um yeah just expansion anyway there's a section of this where we talk about diversity and particularly gender diversity in lineups and i make a point which uh, a similar point that i made on the episode with melissa taylor where i talk about wider participation of women in in the music space particularly in electronic music and how basically the sort of top down approach of trying to get parity on lineups. I mean, it's particularly focused on the festival lineups, but I mean, I think there's a general kind of like move to try and achieve 50-50 lineups across the board versus a more bottom-up approach of maybe focusing more on broadening participation across the boards, which is to say, you know, just getting the same amount of female DJs or the same amount of female producers. And like the, the latter approach is definitely much more difficult. It's much harder. It requires a lot more thought. It requires a lot more people involved. It requires companies to market differently. It requires stuff like uh, the naming of bits of kit to be not massively sexist, which is something that we cover in the conversation as well. But the point I make is in this conversation that I feel like I need to clarify is that I kind of say that if there was 50% participation, then it's almost like there would be by definition, you know, 50% representation in lineups as if that happens automatically. And as if the picking of winners, as it were, that happens in music is some kind of like efficient process and it's definitely not and that is that can be seen in the context of you know the you know how it is now with with men uh dominating lineups but it's if you dig into that you know anyone who's um had a career in music will know that some people just get picked out for no real reason i mean i can think of a number of male djs who don't make exceptional music don't have big hits don't have a big fan bases, but just for some reason get put on every lineup and seemingly for no reason, right? So there is no inherent efficiency in any of this. So when I say that it would be preferable to have a bottom-up approach to diversity representation... I do, I do stand by that. I do think it's a, a much better way of doing it than just by saying, oh no, there's got to be 50% of a certain group on a, on a particular lineup. I think there are real problems with that and I describe what those problems are in the conversation. But it's definitely not a kind of automatic fix to have 50% of participation either. Like there is just no uh, magic bullet here basically. So I just felt like I had to put that into a bit of context. As I say in the conversation, as Danny and I completely agree, like the overall aim of this is 100% laudable and I hope that we get there. I just feel like there are some unintended consequences to some of the processes which are being advocated to get there, which are not the best shall we say, not the best. And just talking about it is tough. But you know, on this podcast we try and talk about tough issues and we try and tackle them head on. So in essentially I'm just trying to give that a little bit of context. Because out of context these things can go awry quite easily. But you know, I think regular listeners to the show will know that we're coming from the right place here. Anyway, obviously we are on Patreon now, so you can sign up at patreon.com slash there's a whole bunch of uh, exclusive content on there, including an exclusive SCB track, unreleased and never to be released, SCB track that's going to be going up this week. We had uh, exclusive stuff from Anna Cost last week. There's my set from Nitza in its entirety up there for patrons. So it was just a whole bunch of exclusive content going up. There's two tiers. They're pretty reasonably priced, I think. So, yeah, get on there and check it out. Patreon.com slash if you don't feel able to do that, that's absolutely fine. Leave us a review or a rating instead. That would be great. That's the best way you can support the show. If you're not going to do the Patreon thing, uh, join us in the Discord anyway. There's a Discord server which covers the Patreon, but I mean, there's a whole most of the server is open. It's a hot flush server, so slash discord Join us there if you want to talk about anything. And follow the Spotify playlists. Of which there is a link in the show notes. So, without any further delay, here is Danny Days. Danny Days, welcome to the show. How are you doing, mate?
0: Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm here in Miami. Uh, just got back from Brazil, and yeah, dude, forgot how much traveling can take a toll on your body. I'll tell you that. That is true. What were you doing in Brazil? Did you have shows? Yeah, I just had some shows out there. It's, it's good to to go out there after like, you know, two and a, it's been what, two and a half years since I haven't been out there. So, uh, yeah, man, that was really, really fun.
1: Yeah. have you found like the getting back into the touring schedule? I've I've had a couple of conversations about this recently. I'm talking to Dubfire about it because obviously he's a consumer road road dude you know and yeah. he just like lives a lifestyle and um, put by personally I found it pretty tough to try to, to get back into the kind of swing of things mentally so have you found it
0: uh same it's been it's I mean I guess once you I, I you know we've had our, our gears kind of on fully oiled for a while and then once you stop it and getting them back up and running has been it's been a mission man like it really has it's almost it's almost gotten me to a point where I'm starting to You know, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to do this slowing down, you know, make the money that you want or feed your soul uh, how you want, but slow, slow down a little bit because this thing does take a toll on your body and um, this, yeah, the the starting up again has definitely been a mission for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I found, cause, well, basically what what I did was... I took what was supposed to be a year off, and this is a story I've told a few times on the show. But I took basically a year off in 2019, and then obviously that turned into three years off because of because of obvious the shit that happened. Oh wow, damn! Um, and uh, so by this point, I'm totally institutionalized in normal life, right? Do you know what wow. I mean? It's like I'm I'm completely used to not doing that whole thing because it's a, it is a it's a mindset which is. Um, well, it takes some getting used to. But what, what I actually found was, like, the the year before 2019, I had done what you've just talked about. Like, um, I tried to like scale it back a bit and make it a bit more manageable. And actually, what I found, which is kind of counterintuitive, was that I like I actually found it more difficult doing less. It was like being fully in it and playing every weekend and and all that like was just a mindset that you just kind of settle into and what I found from scaling it back was that going between the two things like having, having, a, having regular periods of, of quote unquote normal life and then going back into this crazy world but the, the switching between them I found I actually found more difficult which was counterintuitive to me
0: right I, I mean I guess yeah as, as I was saying once you have a well-oiled engine uh, you're good to go but if you if you stop the engine and I, and I say this because we have cars over here, so it's <laughs> that's why I use that metaphor. Right. But it's um, but if you do, if you have that sort of well oiled engine and you stop it, it really takes a it really takes a toll getting that car back up and running. Uh, same thing with us. It's definitely happened with me. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how the hell I was doing it for so long because I was doing, you know, 90 to 100 shows a year and that's you know that's two to three shows every single weekend uh i like the fact that we had this time off i think it was actually something that was needed for the human race it was needed for me for sure uh mentally um i'm not sure why you took the 2019 off but i i was there with you i was about to (laughs) about to do it as well so i'm glad this happened um and yeah man I'm, i'm i mean i'm glad we're back up and running now though
1: so you're someone who's got many interests and yeah you're, you're an interesting dude in terms of like the scope of um what you've got going on and oh, your, your history it, is um you know you're a pro tennis player i believe at, at one stage
0: i for some reason i've always been a person that really likes a bunch of different things just staying entertained and staying consumed with something whether it's collecting baseball cards or, you know, like playing tennis or getting into modular systems or coding right. or crypto or um it's, yeah, it's just been something I've always been, cons- I need to be consumed. If not, I get, I, I get kind of anxious. I I can't sleep right. So that's, that's, <laughs> it's funny that you had a, a list of things that I do.
1: No, no, really, because I mean, the average musician is, a music obsessive right
0: right and it
1: can be quite all-encompassing i mean there are i mean i'm kind of more on your side of things you know i have a quite a few hobbies actually when i think about it you know quite a few interests that i like actually spend time on but there are these kind of music obsessive people in our in our industry but like to be honest i i find the, the more interesting people are the ones who have got you know, different things going on. So, I mean, you mentioned crypto. Yes. Um, lots of people listening to this are going to roll their eyes at just at the mention of the word. But obviously, given the price action of the, of the past few months, some of the hot air has gone out of the um, the debate around crypto. So, I mean, I'm interested in it from the perspective of the, the, the effect that it could, the, the, well, the various different effects that it could have on music and musicians. I mean, I've been involved with the space as a, I sometimes say investor, but I really mean speculator uh, since, right. you know, since 2017. You're waiting for it to um, go to zero.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I know that you're deep in it. So can you just to, just to kick off with this? Can you tell me what your background of getting into the space and and what your kind of early involvement in it was?
0: Yeah, sure, sure. So in uh, in 2011, I I got into crypto by buying Bitcoin and buying a synthesizer with it. This this happened with I believe the forum was synthesi. Uh, was it synthesizer dot nah, I don't know what it was synthesizer d- dot FL or something like that it was a, it was a forum and uh, a guy wanted to sell me an ATC1X Studio Electronics ATC1X he tells me you know I'll sell it to you just send me Bitcoin I had no idea what Bitcoin was at the time so I bought wow in 2011
1: wow that's
0: crazy yeah, yeah I bought 20 I bought at that time I bought like 20 grand worth of Bitcoin it was at $1.50 something like that or a dollar. <laughs> yeah oh, wow, so so wow. And I bought it just to just because I knew I was going to end up buying more things with it. So I threw some money at it and Yeah, it was I don't know 13 14,000 Bitcoin at the time and I ended up buying two synthesizers I ended up buying some other things that I needed uh, or some other things that I wanted from you know uh, Silk Road and uh, (laughs) I like to see where it's gone now because a lot of people a lot of people think it's just to make money and it, and it's not. This is a what came out of this was blockchain and the technology behind blockchain is it's what's going to completely revolutionize all of music. Every single every single Michael Jackson song you can think of, every single scuba record you can think of eventually will be turned into an NFT in order to to have some sort of transparency and some sort of way to consistently track where this music is being played. So, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a couple projects now that are, in, in you know, related to this. I can't really talk about it too much. But eventually, this is where everything is going to go, where everything is going to be on a ledger, where I, I believe most artists are going to have decentralized identifiers called DIDs, uh, D-I-D. Uh, they're going to have... A way to, to, to have decentralized data, where you can collect data on the back end without fully, uh, you know, doing any sort of KYC, know, know your customer sort of deal, or uh, and, and that for me is massive. That for me is is a way for a Danny Day's record or a Scuba record to be placed somewhere where it can be fully tracked, fully traced, and paid out. Uh, there's so much we can that we can do.
1: Let me interrupt you there. Um- cuz like that that concept is super super important i think and it's not fully grasped i think by a lot of people sort of like discussing this space and the potential effect on music like so like a really big problem with making a living from music is how inefficient like the collection of royalties are basically, and particularly on the publishing side, but also on the, on the on the recording side as well. So like this the possibility for that entire process to be basically automated and made like 100% efficient really would completely change the lives of musicians potentially. Yeah. So I think it's super important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I wish I could talk a little bit more on what it is that that um, that I'm working on here uh, off the record. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. But uh, yeah, it's something that it's 100 percent going to happen because people consistently look for easier ways to, you know, to make life easier. And I think now what's going on with the crypto world is most people got into it because of either. NFTs that are jpegs of, you know, monkeys or apes or they got into it with doge doge coin with Elon Musk tweeting but prior to all of this behind all of this what's sitting behind it is that technology called blockchain and I'm, I'm really eager to see where all of this is going, where data collection is going, where decentralized identifiers are going, where, you know, rather than having you sign up to, uh, to eBay and purchase things with your email that can then go directly to your house and, and then people can, you know, somehow with web two get all your information. This would be completely impossible once you has, once you have a decentralized identifier, something that with, a few verification steps uh, can say that you're a verifiable source and that everything that you've said is true, and uh, like stuff like that is is what Web three I think brings. So I'm really, really, really eager. That's
1: like that that definition of Web three like in of itself as a, as a term I think is is kind of an important one. Like that that concept of of ownership of everything that you do as an individual online, which is something again, which I don't think is particularly well understood, but I think is a potential game changer, not just for musicians, but for, for everyone who participates on the web, which is to say basically everyone on the planet, right at, at this point. Right. And like the, the actual, the concept of ownership and the ability to st- step away from these You know, tech giants who quite frankly have got a mixed record, I think it's fair to say, of, um, you know, protecting people's privacy, I think, as much as anything else, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's probably a nice way of putting it.
0: They, yeah, they don't, they definitely don't care. I see it, you know, I I, I see it as Web 1 being read. We were able to read. Web 2 being read and write. We were able to read and write. Web 3, read, write, and own. So now all your information all these cookies that everybody's signing off on those cookies can now pay you those cookies can now lead you to collecting whatever it is might be might be dust but you're you're collecting something and you're able to sign off on your privacy being sold that just just the ability to sign off on it saying that your pri- that your privacy is sold and your all, all your data is sold and you can collect on it that's what's important not how much you're collecting but the fact that you have the ability to say no uh when you and we have the ability to say no then you know you can keep keep your privacy in place
1: and the fact that it's automatic that seems to me like really really key you know the fact that there is no like there's no third party that has to get involved in this because i mean like the 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 problem with in the case of music the problem with royalty collection is that it's you know, they're administrated by these legacy institutions of, of which there are many around the world. They're all beholden to the the, um, legacy institutions in the rest of the industry, i.e. you know, to a large extent, major labels and they serve interests, which are definitely not those of small artists, of artists who are up and coming or artists who have got, you know, limited or niche commercial appeal. Um, Correct. So the so actually getting the money which is due to people in an efficient way in an automatic way is, is a huge game changer. I wanted to ask you a question though about because I mean I, I think a lot of I think a lot, a lot of the the barrier to this happening or one of the key things that always comes up in my mind when I listen to people like you know Holly Herndon and Matt Dryhurst talking about their various you know, scenarios which sound you know great but it's like how will the the uptake of this work you know what will be the the thing that pushes people to to get involved in in these kind of projects and will it just be do you think a a case that just everything moves to this and and therefore, in in a sort of similar way to what happened with Web2, it's just like, you know, every, it just got to a point where everyone would just got a Facebook account because it's just what everyone was doing. Do you think that's what will like drive the uptake
0: of this or will there be, yes. will so it be even trickier? I think, you know, when it comes to crypto and stuff like that, it's going to get to the point where people are using it without knowing that they're using it. They're not using crypto, they're using blockchain. So there, there's, there's a pretty big difference there. I think the 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 toughest part right now is cure, cure, basically curating an easy onboarding flow. So. You know, you don't have to sign up and have, uh, uh, you know, and have and have a wallet that then you have to put a ledger on it and then you have to have Ethereum on it and then you have to collect whenever. No. So I think what people now are working towards is onboarding flow and, and, and interoperability between all the chains to the point that when you are signing up to, say, Gemma or BMI or ASCAP, there's an underlying... Uh, there's an underlying, uh, what's it called, Uh, system already in place. So you're registering a song and it automatically becomes an NFT. That is what makes everybody use it without even knowing that they're using it. So I wish I could talk more on this uh, because there's a couple of things here that I, yeah, when when it comes to the actual uh, technology behind it that I can't, but that's the basics of it and it's going there there's no reason for it not to go there there's no reason for yeah i, I mean yeah. just
1: i think the, the problem that we have right now talking about this is just when just the term nft i think in so many people's minds is almost a kind of toxic concept you know oh I mean? for because sure just, I,
0: I can't stand it i can't stand what it became but but the ideology behind an nft is incredible The ideology behind, you know, you being you being able to place I I genuinely think everything that has a purchase price will be turned into an NFT, not for the purposes that you're thinking about making money and trying to follow it. But you can create different things just by knowing where all these bananas are being sold, for example, why all these mangoes are being sold here and they're not being sold over there. It, you can you can easily create a heat map simply by knowing where these things are 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 why are they tracked uh, sorry, why are they being bought here, not being bought over here uh, same thing can go with music, same thing can go with Djs, same thing can go with the decentralized identifiers. Uh, so we're we're at the point now. I think with blockchain that this thing is so ahead of the curve. We're, we're so ahead of the curve right now that we don't even know how to have two chains or three or four. Every single chain that's on there right now be interoperable. You know, now we have layer zeros coming into play. Things like Cosmos and Polkadot coming into play where they're basically a relay chain of a bunch of layer ones. I mean, I might be talking over people's heads here, but... We're we're like we're we're at the point now where Sprint cannot talk to AT&T, AT and uh, T, AT and T cannot talk to T Mobile. Uh, we we have to pay for somebody to plug us in. We have to pay for international calls. Once this is fully interoperable and the mechanism is going at a hundred, it's unstoppable. The tentacles are going to go really really far when it comes to to blockchain and how it's going to connect the exact same way the internet has connected the world this is going to connect the monetary and data world within the internet that's the way i see it
1: yeah and the the implications for it are just so wide-ranging from you know you were mentioning like you know the, the sale of of goods and like you know commodity markets are just ripe for this sort of disruption basically and it's it's about as much well it's as much as um you know that like the, the tracking of goods and the, the, their existence and, and where they are in the world to the efficiency of of the pricing of those things you know like yes. that's a, big, a big part of it too like there's it's, there's so many at the risk of sounding like some kind of a free market absolutist yeah. like the the, yeah. the, um, the the potential for just just efficiency to be right. to be improved is amazing I mean and the, the other the other example I always point to with regards to music, is is ticketing. Like there's been all this kind of like bruhaha recently about about ticketing prices and using an algorithm to set set the price of cons tickets, right? And there's has been been this huge row about Springsteen ticket prices right. and how much they should cost. And, you know, like, it's just, so, it's so obvious to me that that area in particular, where there's this huge secondary market, where loads of the value gets lost to the artist in question, like loads of the value just gets sucked out by, you know, people who have, who are just kind of business people, trying to take, you know, taking advantage of an inefficiency, basically. 100, yeah. And that, could, that, that could just be eliminated immediately in a way that, you know, all of the value, the, the, like the fair value of a, of a concert ticket goes to the people who, the, who should be getting it. Right. And right. I mean, that's just
0: right. The, right. The there's, I mean, there's so many things that can be done with, with ticketing, which is one of the things that I'm, uh, I'll be working on in December 1st. I'm actually going to be showing my, first album ever inside a planetarium but on 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 top of that there's the nft concept behind it it's not an nft here you go you're going to receive a picture no it's everything else that comes with it and it's something as simple as if you buy a ticket to the show you forever have free entrance to any danny days uh event something as simple as that now there's there's a couple moving parts you know if there there's a couple moving parts that you have to have some agreements between whatever it is event event bright and a resident advisor whoever is doing the ticketing but you but that's something that can very easily be done with an artist if you get Billie Eilish on top of this and all of a sudden uh, you know she agrees that that you're able to have free entrance with with. A an NFT that you've bought that is limited, you know, one of thirty. I do think this is going to be a way uh, to market, a way to have great promotion, and a way to to have a very easy, uh, what's it called, uh, next segment to all this technology, next layer to all this technology, which you know what we're trying to do. Everything is going to be automated very soon, whether it's you know this ticketing stuff or self-driving cars that are that are going to be or self-driving 18-wheeler trucks so you know we're i mean we're trying to jump as fast as possible here and as far as possible and I'm, I'm just hoping it's done right there's so many people in this just for money that that's where things get sticky when it comes with greed and when it when people just think about money that's where things go haywire i've never thought about that i mean granted i sold uh, the Bitcoin that I had, I sold in 20, uh, 2017 Right when my barber started, I heard my barber literally talking about it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go home. <laughs> right. I, yeah.
1: Time I, to
0: sell. <laughs> yeah, I'm out, man. I'm out of here. And thankfully, yeah, I sold that like sixteen grand. It was perfect. It was the right time. And I came. I came right back in right in twenty twenty, and I'm I'm back in. I've always been in, but now I'm very altcoin driven. I'm now more ecosystem driven, making sure that. With what I think is going to be the major, uh, you know, monetary kind of transactional coin, which is Bitcoin, I I'm, I don't have any at all. But I am invested in the roadways. I am invested in the banks that are going to be built. I am invested in you know the petroleum stations that are being built digitally, and that's where I think people should start looking at if they want to go in this for you know the money. But that's that's not what I'm in. I'm not in it for that at all. I just, I just genuinely enjoy seeing being being part of a movement and being part of such a a paradigm shift in the way that we think and everything that we have. I just love that, man. Like, you know, I think I think most DJs are nerds, you know, real DJs at least, and most producers are nerds. So I think I, I've seen a lot of people go into that who are who are DJs, you know, who are, are in the like kind of the, the blockchain space.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really captures the imagination you know because there is so much out there that could that could happen there's so much like possibility yeah with it so um you mentioned your planetarium project and I have that on my list of things that I wanted to ask you about and since you've mentioned it let's talk about it so uh <laughs> to, to tell me what's going on in in the planetarium
0: oh yeah so I, I I finished an album here that took me uh like two and a half years to actually do just the audio and i it's not it's not an album that is there's maybe one thing, one thing that you might be able to dance to uh, in a club. There is definitely head bobbing and, and rapping and stuff like that going on. But uh, I I thought you know I wanted to get away from the typical. Okay, here's a release, uh, here's some music. Just put it on. People skim right through it. I wanted to be able to tell a little bit more of a message and a little bit more of a have a, a little bit more of a concept behind it. So this this album is actually 92 minutes long, fully mixed. Kind of like the way they did back in the day, you know, like the old Ronnie size represent album um, where everything just kind of blends into each other. And I, I knew that it needed another concept on top of it. So I'm doing a planetarium showing here where... I have Konk's unpacks. Maybe you know Tom Konk's unpacks, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, this guy Connor McDonald. Uh, both working on the art. So I brought them out here to Miami, and we just started working on the art, making sure that the stems that I rendered out can all be synced to different parts of you know ideas that I had of what how this music looks visually. And uh, yeah, so December first, I have this showing here during Art Basel, which is the biggest easily the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. It's, it's pretty daunting. Uh, But I, yeah, uh, that, that's, that's the first thing. And, and there's a whole, you know, ticketing NFT concept behind it with a project called uh, Ori chain. We're going to try something out like that where, you know, they have uh, the, the, the ticketing and they get a sort of NFT. And then behind the NFT, there's an entry to whatever event that you want for ever, basically. Um, yeah. So that's, that's basically what's going on.
1: So, the album format is something that we've discussed a lot on this show okay and its viability generally as a thing in in 2022 given the way that people listen to music now and the way that you know the the general sort of musical landscape has, has evolved and doing doing a 90 minute long project is is definitely um it's against the grain for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm setting myself up for failure here, man, for sure. <laughs> like I, I already, right. I already know that going in. So uh, this. You know, like, say, uh, yesterday, I had two friends come over, they listened to the album sitting down in the studio with blindfolds. And usually, whenever when everybody leaves, they're like, what the hell did we just listen to this is like, most people don't do that in general. Most people, they, they don't just sit down and listen to music, they'll have their phone on them, they'll skim through the song, they'll skip to the next one. And I, I think this is just something that I'm doing for myself because I've been a little bit. I'm not going to say the. I'm not going to say discouraged, but uh, the love that I have for DJing and for music has it, it has definitely been depleted due to how accessible this is now. And I did this for myself in order to you know, bring back the feelings that I had when I was, when I started DJing 23 years ago. Okay, it, let me let me yeah. stop you there. Let me stop okay. you there. Okay.
1: The word accessible is super interesting to me. This is very much in line with the way I've thought about this. And can you expand on that a little bit for me or as much as you want? Because sure. to me, like the, um, like the developments in, in music tech on the one hand have been, well wow. i mean like the, the word like democratization of youth gets sort of thrown around quite a lot and on and on the one hand how could that be a bad thing but i think to me like a lot of the like the practical results of of a lot of this music tech development has been just an avalanche of kind of good enough music right and that is not in my opinion been a positive thing at all so just tell me what right. you meant by accessibility and and what you think about all that stuff
0: all right so the um i think you know music always had a point of entry it had a filter for me the music that was being put out our filter or, or any filter was was it good enough to press on vinyl was it good enough to have pr was it good enough to spend millions of dollars or you know whatever. If it was in the underground, maybe a couple you know ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to press vinyl. Uh, now with the ease of technology, where you have you have VSTs that create a beat for you, and with one push, you have you have people that don't even make music. They have a USB stick and they have Soulseek. They go and they download a song. They press play. They move a fader and they put their hands up. It's created. I think now you know we're living in fifteen second increments where people you know you, the, you immediate you immediately like it or you don't. So this ease of technology there's there's it's always a double edged sword when you when things become easier because sure they become easier for the people that want to take that ease and create even crazier stuff with it but then you get all the bullshit in the background you get you get the people that are doing this you know they become a dj but they become a dj more as a verb rather than a noun they're djing they're not living it as a dj so when when you say these people that are musically obs- obsessed that they know the b-side to, you know the advent records on combination research and they and they're just absolute nerds so those people they live it as a noun there's people now that are taking there's that, are, that have taken over the art and it's all done because of dopamine hits it's all done because of you know the ease to get that dopamine hit and so that you know that for me I think now the reason that I've done this album is to make things, I guess, not harder for myself, but to to remind myself why I started this in the first place. And hopefully, uh, you know, with my little platform that I do have and people that do follow me and even just mostly for the kids that are here in Miami that are just absolutely crushing it, they see the amount of detail that I've put into this album and it's actually made them work differently. It's actually, they're, they've actually, they'll work with me in the studio. And when they come back with some demos, I can tell that they're putting that much more emphasis into just simply making this a doper project. So yeah, the, unfortunately, the accessibility thing for me is I don't have a, a popular opinion on it. I, I despise the way where most things have gone, but I try and embrace it. If the person on the other side is doing it for the right reasons, not just doing it because they want more Instagram followers and they want more notoriety for being absolutely nothing, you know, like it's, 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 it's mind boggling to me, but there is the internet to blame. There is technology to blame. And then there's promoters to, to blame. Some promoters need to put their foot down and be like, yo, you're just like you've been DJing for a year and a half you don't belong in this headliner set you can't you know you can't Yeah. so it's it's an unpopular opinion and may, uh, some people won't speak about it but who cares you know like yeah so that's that's how that's how I think about that
1: yeah I mean I think like this is true for all forms of music right these, these kind of developments but I think electronic music and, and club music in particular are particularly susceptible because The way people generally interact with club music is in a club when they're you know they're out there, maybe they've had a drink, taken some drugs, and you know they're interacting with the music on sort of a visceral level, I guess. And quite often, like it's very distinct elements of a track which have the most impact, right? And when I use the term kind of good enough music like I think like to the average clubber who's not like a music nerd like it's 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 kind of difficult to tell the difference between a good track and an, and an okay track do you know what I mean sure like and I can completely see why this stuff happens and I can I can I can I mean you you mentioned your promoters there and I kind of I sort of empathize a bit with you know the needs on the one hand to fill a club and have a good party but also, you know, respect the degree of responsibility that they might have or they should have to the music generally, and particularly with underground promoters. I mean, I think there's a, you know, there's definitely a difference between your kind of corporate venue, whatever. It's it's, it's a money making thing, and that is what it is. But but if you're promoting underground parties, then I do think you have a responsibility to the music too, you know.
0: I would yes, I would think so. I think that's that would be the only reason I would be a promoter, just like it's you know it's probably the only reason I produce music uh it's It's because it has to kind of hold an integrity you have to hold the integrity behind it. I understand when a club needs to make money and keep the lights on. I also understand when you know when quote unquote an underground promoter now is, you know, a one person doesn't make enough money to come and, you know, pay the bills. But it's 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 a tricky area. I, I, I was a club promoter, but I was a club promoter back when Flyers were still being passed out, you know, in the early 2000s. So things, you know, things are definitely different now. Things, you know, you're kind of catering to a completely different demographic. But it's more for for me, it's more the the ease that we're talking about. Where you know, there's a lot of very new pandemic DJs. Like I I don't know how many people I know started DJing during the pandemic. All you need is a computer, Soulseek because a lot of people are straight up downloading stuff illegally and and uh, dude like just bring your USB stick to a club you don't even need a system you know you just bring it to the club and hey we'll figure ourselves we'll figure it out here we'll hit sync and we'll just play the songs that we love now some people have it just like innately just have it they they just have it in them that yo you're the, the, you can rock you know what's going on but there you know there there's an art form to de- to djing and it's been completely completely lost Completely lost. Like you've heard some DJs that you're like, damn, they are absolutely rocking it. Whether it's playing three songs, four songs, going in reverse, doing you know, like being able to manipulate the crowd, get the people to leave the dance floor for a little bit so they can go get some drinks, and bring them right back. Think like that art form is I can't I don't remember the last time I saw somebody very new that that I felt you know, it was like, damn, this is really, really sick. It's usually somebody that does have the experience, and w- what sucks is that the younger generation doesn't really, I, you know, they they haven't experienced that. And you know, when when you experience a person that knows what the hell they're doing behind the decks, you're like, damn, okay, I get it now. And you know, the, the barrier, the barrier of entry, way back in the day, you had to earn your spot on that flyer, you had to, you know, you're going to start at the bottom. uh, You're going to earn your spot. Your all your peers were going to be like, okay, cool. Uh, And so there was a different, there was a different barrier back in the day. Um, But Hey, you know, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess.
1: So this is, I mean, you touched upon a kind of a tricky area there, which is the way stuff like, well, um, I've had a few conversations recently with people not on the podcast, just private conversations concerning the topic of like diversity riders and the efforts that people make in different ways to get a wider variety of people on the bill, which on the face of it is completely legitimate and something to be encouraged. But I do think one of the sort of unintended consequences of this movement has been. Been what you've just been talking about so quite often like the like the beneficiaries of that sort of booking policy are people who are inexperienced and maybe don't justify their place on the bill now this is a tricky thing to discuss
0: i realize and particularly yeah that's that's a sticky that's a sticky situation but i i am i'm pretty i'm pretty open with the way i think about anything it's pretty simple either you earn your way as an artist or you don't. Now, when people are being used, right? When people are being used as a token, that to me, okay, maybe they've, maybe they haven't had the ability because they've been, uh, uh, what's the word suppressed. But for me, it's always been very simple. Either you belong on stage or you don't. And if right now your talent doesn't fit, then it just doesn't fit. But, maybe it doesn't fit on at that grand scale. There's other, there's other ways to, to have talent slowly understand that, Hey, this is how, this is the, the bar that we want for our events. This is a bar like, you know, there's, there's, there's an entitlement now to like say people that just started DJing a year and a half ago. I was having a conversation literally yesterday with a young lady and she goes, you know, I, I, I don't know why they didn't put me on as a headliner. And I asked her one question. I just go, why should, you know, why should you be the headliner? She had no idea. She's just like, I, I don't know. I just wanted to be the headliner. And I uh, hasn't released music. And then she goes, you know what? Yeah, she, she, she herself told me. She's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I knew that I was kind of wrong. But there was something in me that felt the entitlement. And, you know. I've always felt, even even me now, twenty three years DJing. There's times where I'm like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, and I want to be ready for this. I want to make sure that when I go in there, I'm destroying this place. I I, I, I want to make sure that I that when I'm in there, I feel comfortable, and that I don't feel like I'm entitled to this. I want to feel like I earned it. That sense of that that sense of earning something is. Th- that's the powerful part so I'm all about you know I, I'm i Cuban so I've like people you know I've we've had we've had we've been in the shitter for a while so I'm completely open to yo opening up the gates to everybody but those gates and especially when it comes into the arts can very easily dilute the art if you're just letting in people just because uh, they fit a certain quota that needs to be met you know, there, there. It's tricky to talk about it because this scene is basically ran by white, straight, uh, cisgendered males. So you know, it, it's a tricky thing to talk about because you know, how do you get more people kind of on, on boarded onto making music, onto you know uh, traveling more, playing bigger things? And the way that you do it is by hey, getting them, throwing them in there. I, I completely understand that. But it, it's it's gotten to a point now where promoters are saying, we need, you know, we need more of this, We need more of this, we need more of this. And unfortunately, that does kind of degrade the the, the art that was kind of held by a standard or like a point a point of entry so you know there there i think the pendulum the pendulum swings back and forth for a while and i think you know it's it's starting to balance out the right way
1: yeah i think basically the the problem has been that there's been a top down approach to this rather than a bottom up if so and what i mean what i mean by that is that what there should be is a real effort to increase participation at a very broad level so like the number for example of tracks that go up on beatport that are made by women for example is like less than 10%. Like it's some like laughably low level. And it seems to me that like if you want to have headliners who are women, then that first figure needs to change. And if that, you know, if you got to 50% participation in say uh, another statistic i've used here on the show before is like the the customers of music tech companies for example like if if native instruments had 50% female customers i've no doubt that just by definition you would have more female festival bookings you know, right. I think it yeah. just would happen like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like absolutely something which should be strives to achieve. Like we should, of course, we should want this. Absolutely, hundred percent, we should want this. Like it would be great if there were fifty percent of of women making tracks, releasing tracks. You know, one hundred.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I I completely agree. Like what what. So what I've what I've kind of focused on here in in Miami, for example, because I can't. I'm not going to go and start reaching out to a bunch of. You know, young kids in Miami, young girls in Miami, women in Miami that uh, 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 I'm sorry, outside of Miami, I'd 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 like to focus here. So what I've been doing is trying to to reach as much as possible here to have more women actually make music and, you know, kind of fully understand, yo, like this, this can very easily be done for some reason. I don't know why it has been the, the, even, even the production side has been ran by dudes and it's, and it's, it's bothersome to me because I wish I knew why. I mean, it's Um, funny,
1: isn't it? Because like you could see it even in, um, like what pieces of kit are called. Like, like I was talking to someone the other day about like the, uh, big muff guitar pedal. It's like, oh, yeah. like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit like that, like, you know, it's yes, like, like what the women hell, are definitely
0: not involved in this. In, in you know? the, yeah. They're definitely not. They're definitely not. But you know, they're it, it's a tricky thing to talk about because, you know, we don't know the answers. We don't know how to, you know, get, you know, on board more females, into it, but it's definitely needed because this industry is ran by a bunch of testosterone driven assholes who just want more money, more fame, more dopamine hits. Uh, and, and and it's needed, man. It's just like, uh, yeah, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. The only thing that I think we can do here is try and push the younger generation uh the younger women to you know to 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 bring in their uh, to bring in the art that they feel that they want to make, but might be held back for example the 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 young lady that I was talking to, she was kind of nervous, just even showing music to me, and I'm like, yo, just show me, show me like show me your demos, you know like whatever who cares so there's like a there's a, uh, i don't I don't know what it is just a shyness behind it sometimes. And, you know, that that cannot happen that that we like they I think women in general just need to feel that, you know, there's there's men in this industry that want them to get fully pushed as hard as possible. I come from it from a side where with the 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 females that I work with in Miami we will sit down in the studio and I and I push them as hard as possible to come up with the most creative things that they possibly can. And, and from my end, you know, whatever it is that I do, I'll maybe teach them, you know, different way to record a different little trick that I have here with, you know, doing something with MIDI. Uh, But, but I think that's what, what needs to be done, not what has been done where it's like, uh, okay, let's, let's get more, let's get more women here on this, on this bill or, 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 you know, like, It's just not that's not the way to do it, because what does happen is that somebody that is that is not very socially known, for example, that's not good on social media, but is an insanely sick producer. She doesn't get the credit she deserves. Yeah. And it's just this. it's a revolving door of like, damn, like I've been working my ass off here. I've been producing music. I've been DJing my ass off. I've been collecting records for 15 years. But, you know i 'm not known because i I've, i i don 't really know how to work social media which is kind of what 's what 's kind of driving bookings now and it uh yeah it's it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky subject and I'm, and i 'm sure we can talk about this for hours and hours and hours um but it's yeah I wish I had the answer man
1: yeah right i mean just to finish off on this like i would you know the, the counterpoint to what i i said earlier about by increasing participation versus the, you know, just the proactive, like, you know, booking strategy is like a lot of it is having role models for women, you know? So, so when you see say a, you know, Nina Kravitz or whoever, like at the top of a bill, like really smashing it and like, you know, super successful, like that's, that's having a positive effect about getting, getting young girls interested in in doing Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So there is a, you know there is something to it, but I just think it's been done in a, in a way which has been well as as we were saying there's like there's just unintended consequences to this which are generally speaking not acknowledged. Right. Anyway, um, you mentioned that you're from well you're of Cuban heritage. I'm really interested in this because the Cuban Revolution and and the the migration to, to Miami and and the effect of that on Miami as a city is something that I've very interested in. And one of the things we've been doing on the show, generally speaking, is, is talking about the, the way like dance scenes are developed in different cities. And we haven't talked about Miami at all, but the, the influence of Cuban Americans on, not just on the city, generally speaking, but on the music scene must be pretty significant to say the least. So tell me a little bit about your, well, tell me, tell me about your, your childhood and your heritage,
0: man. I'm interested. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, Miami's a huge melting pot I, I don't think many people actually know much about Miami other than, you know, there's there's some fun to be had out here. But this place musically is very, very, very rich from Miami bass music to salsa music to merengue music to IDM. Uh, it's a melting pot that all kind of it just mixes. We'll have IDM artists like uh, like Phoenicia they, or Solidity that mixes Afro-Cuban influences into their stuff and for me it was very normal to listen to my dad sing opera and then right. go on a, go in a car listen to power 96 listen to this guy dj laz play the craziest miami booty bass instrumentals and from there goes to a you know get off go to a restaurant and listen to salsa music This was very normal to me. So when I started touring and I started traveling and I I would play Miami bass records, I remember I would play some Uncle Luke or or like uh, DJ Uncle Al records out in the middle of, say, California and nobody knew what the hell they were. I was under the impression that this was known all over the place and then I'm like, as soon as I start playing out and people are like, what the hell are you playing? What is this shit? You know? And I'm like, you don't know this dude. It, 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 it made me realize that Miami is its own place, man. Miami is not, Miami is not Florida. Miami is not the United States. It's definitely its own little spot. And a lot of it has, a lot of it does have to do with the, with the influx of uh, Cuban immigrants. Like my. My entire family, basically. Uh, there's, cute. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, a bunch of Colombians out here, Venezuelans. You know, they're, they're, it's just a huge melting pot. So it's, it's pretty cool, man. So
1: yeah, you're second generation, right? Is your uh, your parents came over? Yeah, in the '60s.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. They came over in the 60s. Uh, I'm second generation, but I'm still very tied in because I consistently have new cousins coming in here, whether it's, you know, legally, uh, like they they get claimed or not illegally, but uh, in a raft, you know, like what they call barceros out here, which they like pull up in a raft or, you know, they they just leave on a speedboat from, from Cuba, which is a communist country. They don't let you leave the country. So it's you know it's it's a pretty cool Im- influence to have uh just having that afro-cuban kind of thing behind me as well it it leads to the, the the way that i produce music is kind of syncopated and i tend to be i think quite random with with the way that i produce and sequence songs and i think it all has to it, it comes from that it comes from from that culture and just like just sticking
1: on on cuba for a minute and and the sort of um, the the immigration aspect of it, like how do I mean, you know, I, I've I've read all sorts of stories about the the influence of, um, you know, Cuban American opinion about the, the regime and all the rest of it, affecting you know, like stuff like I was talking to someone earlier actually about the you know, the Bay of Pigs fiasco and all that stuff. Well, I mean, it's a very I'm asking you to make a big generalization here, but like, how do people feel about? the
0: regime there now. Uh well, they're in Miami for a reason. That's that's all I really right. need to say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all I really need to say. It's a communist country that doesn't, you know, that that segments bread for people that, you know, that partitions bread for people. Even if you have money, you can't go buy bread. If you get if you pull to the side if if you have a mango tree and you're selling mangos on the side of the road, they arrest you for it. All right. So, it, you know, people have kind of You know, I see Che Guevara T-shirts, and I see Che Guevara people. Kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? uh, Idolizing people like Che Guevara, people like Fidel Fidel Castro, and I I look at them like, man, this is this is where information is necessary. You need to fully understand before you go into something like that. These people have murdered and murdered and murdered. So many people that, I mean, it's, you know, we're it's a conversation that will last forever. So it is, I have to generalize here, but yeah, there's a reason why people are in Miami and why they leave that country to the point that thousands and thousands die at sea every single year.
1: Yeah. I mean, in, in our scene, being a communist sympathizer is it's like a completely legitimate position to take, right? It's almost like a kind of cool position to take.
0: I think it's more socialist, right? Like, there, there, there. I think more most people are, are thinking in terms of socialism and spreading the wealth uh, to a certain degree, right? Which hell, I'm, dude. I was a Bernie supporter. I'm a big Bernie Bernie Sanders supporter. There's a way to do it correctly, and then there's communism, and then there's dictatorship. Sure. So yeah, it, it depends. So they those they all get conflated pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that's the and that's the issue. You know, I'm I'm completely against dictatorships. Completely against the type of communism that's going on in in Cuba. That's literally had my uncles kill themselves because of the. the it, it's absolutely insane out there. Even if you do have money, even if even if you send money from Miami to Cuba. They can only buy a certain amount of bread. They can only do a certain amount with it. So uh, it, it, it's absolutely insane. And I, and I and I believe you know, getting into politics here, uh, I'm, all this has to do with Russia, basically. They the whole Cuban Missile Crisis, all that stuff. The United States is never going to touch Cuba, and you know it is what it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does seem like a something which is just not going to go away on any level. And obviously, like situation some geopolitical situation with with russia now is obviously not not simmering down, down yeah, at all yeah, yeah if anything going up yeah anyway um let's 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 move on from from politics and talk about music obviously so i followed your, your career and you're someone who seems to have You've you've spent the last few years, I think, kind of like like getting as far like further and further away from sort of the mainstream as possible. Is that a fair characterization?
0: I yeah, I mean, um, I think actually it it started happening right after I made a massive record on on Hawk Creations in like 2011. Right, Uh, literally right after I I knew that because that song for me was actually electro. If you go back now and you kind of look at the the scope of work, talking about your everything, right? Your everything, yeah. If you if you if you like listen to that record now, you see that it has an an electro root to it, Miami bass root to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I even I'll even play it now, not not even out of novelty. I'll be like, you know what, I'm going to play this now. But for a long time, I was like, damn this this record kind of pegged me into a place where most people thought I was this deep house DJ that. They thought I was British. They 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 thought like I lived, you know, like in Ibiza and stuff. And I was like, man, this is what did this record do here? Like, it, it, what did this record do to me? Like, it just pegged me in this one place where people thought I was a deep house DJ, and I've never been that. I've always been a uh, uh, electronic techno IDM electro guy. So over the last, I would say. Yeah, uh, since 2012, 2013, I started working with guys like Jimmy Edgar who, you know, and even even uh, Maceo back back then as well where it was yeah, I was able to kind of leave that world of a, a little bit more I guess pop sensibility and and get into yeah, what kind of what I've always been to is just like weird messed up, you know, electronic dance music. And thankfully I'm at the point now where I, you know, I don't really know outside looking in what people think of me as an artist. I try to not even think about that. But I'm at the point now where I ha- where I'm comfortable enough, where I'm releasing I'm releasing music on like Schematic Records, for example. Who's a it, it, it's a big influence on me, uh, an IDM sort of label from Miami, mm. and I'm able to just do whatever it is that I want. I don't I don't necessarily fall into like, hey, I, I want to make dance music only, or I want to make you know whatever I, i'm thankfully i i think i'm out of that but it, it definitely took some work and it and it was quite it was pretty cool yet stressful to see how the machine works and how you can I mean you having,
1: having that bit of uh having that taste of kind of like tech house success which i've i've absolutely had too and um, yeah, getting a glimpse of that whole world is um, it's illuminating. Put it that way.
0: I'm not. I'm not mad at the world at all. Uh, what I'm. What I'm mad at is, is probably the media, to be honest, and the the way that people are immediate to peg any sort of artist to a certain sound. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. and I, I think with me it happened because I came from a. I came from like right before that i was producing under another name uh discotech which was straight up pop music so i came from i went from being on house arrest in 2005 Uh, 2007 i started uh, this project called discotheque and we started making edits that eventually became some of the biggest mashups and edits in all of the united states and we started just touring the world it was me me and a couple friends of mine so i came from that world of playing las vegas clubs as a resident dj every single saturday playing five times a week basically uh, these hip-hop Turntable. turntable is kind of hip hop clubs, r- open format. And I I couldn't stand it anymore. And I said, I'm going to take this, this, what I've learned here, how to, how to get an obvious club record with, that has some science and mathematics behind it. And I'm going to make a record that I, that brings my influence, my Miami bass, electro and disco influences and make a pop record and that's what I did with your everything thankfully it worked that was literally the first track I did right after how did that uh, end up on Hot
1: Creations sorry how did that end up on Hot
0: Creations so I have to be honest I I didn't know Jamie Jones at the time. I didn't I didn't know like really I didn't really know much about the scene in general. I was I knew everything about like you know underground resistance and Drexia and that side of things but when it came to kind of like cool dance underground, you know, deep house and house music or tech, even newer techno. I I had no idea, man. I I was so out of the loop. So one of my friends, Ramon, uh, gave it to Seth. Troxler actually right like I, I he gave him a demo oh, Ramon Crespo yeah 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 seems like everybody knows Ramon <laughs> That's everyone
1: all. knows yeah. that dude man shout everyone out shout knows
0: out yeah dude. shout out to Ramon Crespo man <laughs> um, yeah so he gave it uh, I gave I, I like sent him the demo you know it was long as hell it wasn't even mixed down properly right before WMC 2011 or t- t- yeah 2011 like I, I would say the week before he sent it to Seth out of nowhere. All of a sudden I'm playing somewhere in Miami and I'm, and I'm hearing a couple of my friends, yo, I think Troxler is playing your record, man. And I'm like, wait, like how? And then, then I hit up Ramon. Yo, did you send this record? He's like, yeah, I sent it out. All of a sudden that track spread like wildfire, man. It was so cool to see that. Like, you know, I, I was playing at a club and I'm hearing that Seth is playing it at, uh, da, 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 get lost, or or something like that. Like I think Damien Lazarus's party, and I get I I pull up to the party, and then they drop it again and like jamie is there and like that you know the whole uh crosstown crew which i didn't know any of them at the time they're all there and they're like you're the one that produced this record and i'm like <laughs> yeah dude i'm danny i'm from here i'm from miami like what's your name and they're like oh my name's damien and i'm jamie and i'm like oh damn like this is pretty cool so that's that's how it happened it happened so organically and it happened so quick that i was like what the hell just happened dude the song wasn't even finished and they were they were already saying, "Yo, we want this." So it it was pretty cool to see a record like that. That to be completely honest, I had not at that time I had never heard anything like that with that kind of baseline that just wraps the entire time. Like it, the baseline goes for I don't know f- five, six, seven beats. It just it's a, it's a very long decay. I at the time I hadn't heard anything like that, and to be able to hear an artist drop it, and you're like, what the hell? This thing is working, you know, and everybody's <laughs> hands were up. It's a great
1: feeling, man. It's a great it's, feeling when that it's, happens.
0: Yeah, it's like, holy crap, dude. I didn't know that the idea that I had in my little studio, now it's, you know, it's, it's all over the place. And this was at the time where, like, YouTube was still really big and track IDing new music. So, man, like, Seth was playing it out, and you would just see the comments just go crazy. Like, what is this? What is this? You know? So, that was pretty rad, man. Had you been... To
1: Europe with Discotech?
0: We, yeah. So, yeah, we, I was traveling quite a bit with Discotech, but it, it was me and my partner, this guy named Joe Maz, and then another guy named Gigamesh, who was his brother, joined in a bit later. Uh, but we were signed. So, to, sorry,
1: got gone. Finished.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we, we were signed to a uh, to an agency called Deckstar. So, that was along the lines of like Crookers and, uh, man, what are they called? Jack, Jack Beats. From, from the uh, UK, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I don't even know if they were on it actually, but the guys like DJ AM, who uh, on, you know, unfortunately passed away, but it, it was along that line where it was kind of like, I don't even know what to call it, 2007 hipster electro, like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell mm-hmm. to call it, but we, it was yeah. along that line, which kind of fit, you know, what it is that I was into, which was electro, which was uh, that 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 sort of style, but eventually we ended up doing You know, we ended up playing Vegas and, you know, uh, all over the place, including the UK, including the Philippines, including Hawaii, wherever. Uh, So it was, it was pretty fun. But again, that got extremely oversaturated where everybody just started doing the same crap. There's only a certain amount of times you can hear Bon Jovi in a club. So uh, (laughs) yeah, it just drove me nuts, man. I was out. I was out.
1: I mean, the reason I asked you that question was really to ask like how familiar, were you with the with the kind of circuit in Europe, you know? Because obviously, you know, like Seth back then was, you know, like this huge this huge thing in Europe as well. And obviously, Jamie and Hot Creations were were really kind of beginning to peak at that stage. So, how, I mean, how like aware were you of what you were getting into, like with having a record like Your Everything?
0: Uh, I had no idea absolutely right. no idea man <laughs> i had absolutely no idea dude it was it was the weirdest thing because my first show ever back in europe as danny days was room 1 at fabric <laughs> right and i'm like i'm like what the hell dude and when i i remember when i dropped that record man like my, dude it's it's insane it's one of the coolest experiences i've ever had but i had no idea what the hell this thing was about when i like for me the uk meant andrew weatherhall it meant Two lone swordsman and you know it meant kind of like the warp auticker Square pusher sort of thing. I had I had no idea that this dance scene even existed. Uh, I played somewhere. I think that same tour where I remember the advent was in room two somewhere, mm-hmm. and I remember telling myself, "Damn, that's where I want to be." Right. Like that. That's that's why I am over there. Like that's that's my thing. I was totally you know like I was down to play whatever needed to be played because I'm getting introduced to something brand new. But I immediately knew that, damn, this record is definitely doing something for me that I don't want it to do and it's pushing me towards and and even like media and people started just talking about me like if they knew me like if they knew my, my background I'm like yo man like do you understand? I was I was a moderator on this thing called the Electoral Alliance, which was originally started by Larry McCormick and Anthony Rother. I was one of the moderators there when I was a kid and it just people didn't have any ideas. So you can imagine like that deep down inside for me was really, really bothersome. I, I didn't know any I didn't really know much about the dubstep scene, for example. I didn't. Uh, and when I started traveling there, I was like, damn, this is sick. You know, like I, I didn't know, I think I had met scream. I met scream with DJ craze way back in the day. Like I would say 2000, I mean, way back in the day, like 2008, you know, around then, but I didn't really know much about it and it it fascinated me for sure. (laughs) The dubstep scene
1: is, um, yeah, something we've, we've, we've gone into in detail on the show. It's a nice, it's a topic which, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the, um, the North American influence there was, um, was not the best, should we say? As I mm, no,
0: you're right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I like the first time I heard dubstep, I, I had heard it in a form, but I didn't even know it was called dubstep. It was, you know, more of the kind of reggae driven uh, back, you know, like vocals. But then, yeah, all of a sudden you have. Guys like Skrillex come in, and granted, like I'm not very into the 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 wild style of music, but holy crap, that production was on another level. That production, that for me is the last groundbreaking thing. Actually, whenever I talk about like groundbreaking music, you know what? It's
1: funny. I I kind of yeah i I kind of agree with you there. Actually, funnily enough, because I mean, I do think that. Like the last decade of music were, was, was kind of notable for the lack of interesting shit that happened, basically the lack of new shit that happened. Right. Um, but Skrillex's take on Dubstep, whilst I didn't particularly like it at the time, I mean, it was some next level shit. You're absolutely right. And looking back on it now, it was um, pretty original, actually. You oh, know? hell I mean, yeah. Yeah, it definitely obviously was. Obviously, there was some, like, drum and bass influences and that sort of thing. But, like, I mean, it was really something in of itself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I, I think people like Noisia kind of influenced him and yeah just just normal dubstep but the sounds that were being made are, are things that i had never heard in 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 music at least i heard them in transformers movies and, and michael bay films but i had never heard them in, in 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 music um so it was pretty cool to see that 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 section happen where i don't I, I mean do you know the jack beats guys uh i don't know them personally no jack beats but i mean do you know the music yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so the jack, the jack beat stuff for me was 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 something that I was like, oh man, this is pretty rad. The really wobbly sort of stuff I had never really heard that. So that 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 for me was really really interesting.
1: Yeah. So, returning to your. Journey in, in tech house or try uh, attempted exit. Like it's always difficult. Like, well, I mean, basically, you can go from the underground to the overground, and that's never a problem. But going from the overground to the underground is a much more difficult path, right? And like you know, from what you've just been describing, like, you know, you found yourself in a position where you are like increasingly painted as part of a scene, which was basically like the mainstream dance scene, basically. So certainly in Europe had become like the mainstream dance scene. So getting out of that is a, is a tough, it's a, it's a tall order, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and you can only really do it through music.
0: That's the only way I did it. Yeah. That's the only way that's the only way I did it. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, I, I guess I had the, I had the, Thankfully, I was able to do it. Like, thankfully, I was. Uh, for me, it's kind of funny being able to say that I've worked on tracks with, you know, f- tracks for like Kanye West and Coldplay, and also released on Hot Creation, and also play Berghein, and also <laughs> did like a, a <laughs> deck Mantle Boiler Room, for example. To have that that kind of spreadsheet for me is it's who, it's who I am. That's what people for the last you know and especially in Miami I got known for being a a DJ that would play Beastie Boys into Ox 88 into into salsa and merengue music that's like that that's something that was started I would say like around 2006 when I was doing that out here so it's me that's exactly who I am and I love it but to 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 do it it takes it took so much work just to have a person like you even for example to be like to turn your head and be like yeah isn't that that kid that released some shit like you know <laughs> I, I, I i have enough respect to at least want to have a conversation with him it took it takes it took a lot of work to do that and the only way that i did it what was just by releasing music and by people seeing how it is that i dj um you know the art yeah, I I think I forgot who said a Jay-z game game recognizes game you know like you you, right. you just you fully understand at some point and then I think people started seeing and reading some interviews uh I believe there was one where this guy Sean Reynaldo wrote uh, a piece on on ra something that that he did on on me where you know in in that piece I talk about Merck and I talk about schematic which are some like labels that really really influenced the hell out of me And, you know, little things like that, just slowly having people realize what's going on is the way to do it. But it's definitely hard, man. It's so much easier to just start from the bottom up instead of from the top down, you know, like that, that the the trajectory I had with that one song was insane dude like i've never i hope i hope i never experienced that again <laughs> straight up yeah yeah i thank it i i am I'm, I'm grateful for it but holy crap man like whew, that was that was that was that was a fun one
1: yeah so at what point you you moved to berlin i believe right and presumably this was sort of linked to this kind of process I mean I mean is is that is that true uh, actually
0: no 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 not even no 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 it was it was literally we just wanted to get the hell out of the United States me and my my girlfriend <laughs> at the time yeah and we went to a place where people kind of spoke English because she didn't speak Spanish I was originally living in Barcelona she didn't speak Spanish so it was it was a little oh, tough and uh, now we just said okay let's go to Berlin I had one of my friends Jimmy uh, Jimmy Edgar who was living there at the time uh, yeah. this was around in 20 uh, late 2012. And mm-hmm. yeah, that, that I moved there, but I very quickly found out that I, uh, that I wasn't really, wasn't really into it as much as I thought I would. So I, I ended up going to, to Amsterdam instead.
1: Okay. Tell me, yeah. Tell me why, why you went into it. Um,
0: whew, yeah. That's no, that, that's going to be a loaded one for me, but I, let, let's just, let's bring it down to just like the music I and and even man, even I, I just like seeing some color as well, <laughs> like not just black everywhere, <laughs> black black clothing everywhere at Berghain. Uh It's no, it's mostly honestly, it's I the mean, music, like man.
1: Berlin is a it's, Berlin is a monochrome city. Oh, in, definitely, in, like just just completely, like from what it looks like to what people wear to like the whole thing is just like
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. which which in itself is 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 the charm and for some reason i i just i couldn't really fall into it Um, the music that i like even and uh, you know i i also didn't like that it was like dj central and every conversation that we would go out every conversation that i had was music based oh and flight based and how much struggles were being had i'm like dude uh, man like can we talk about some other shit can we talk about i don't know Polypeptide molecules, or some—I don't know—just some something else, man. And uh, I, I just had to get out of there, you know. And, and I, I appreciate it now. I go back and I can take it with, you know, kind of spoon-fed every here and there. But I, I'm—I notice that I do need a little bit more color just in my life you know so um that's i mean that's basically why
1: i mean compared to compared to miami you know miami is one of the most colorful places i think i've ever been so
0: yeah you would think that i would want a contrast but i was like oh man no there's some, something something just wasn't I, I don't know if it was the whole dj thing you know like i i tend to like to not just talk about Music. I like to, I definitely like to go into other forms of thing, things that are interesting in life. And I, I'm not, maybe, you know, maybe it was the, the people that I was rolling with. Maybe I didn't give it a, enough of a chance because I did have a girlfriend and I was a little bit, you know, in the relationship. I wasn't going out that much. Um, so maybe it had to do with something, something like that. But uh, yeah, man. Hey. Um, no, man. I mean, like
1: that characterization of Berlin is absolutely accurate. It's basically. Okay. Just, just full of like aspiring DJs who either become successful or become extremely bitter because they're not successful. <laughs> Basically, oh, right. it's, my, it's my it's my experience of it. Anyway, I mean, I lived there for seven years, right? And and by the end of it, I was like, you know what, fuck this, I've, I'm done, I'm absolutely done.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and uh, but it's, I mean, it's it's an amazing place. To go out, it's like I think it's the best city in the world to go out and have a have a good time. You know, it's like oh my it's, god, it's, yeah, I, I, it, I love yeah. that side of it. Just the complete like abandon, like the like, pure hedonistic abandon of it. I mean, like there's maybe maybe some cities in like South America, like oh, I don't know, maybe I don't know I'm thinking of. I mean, I've had some great nights in like in, in in Bogota, for example, I had a great night in Bogota. Like right, like that. But like,
0: there's no place. Yeah, there's no place like 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 Berlin. I I, I think Brazil is kind of getting there. Uh, but yeah, there's absolutely no place like, like Berlin when it comes to, when it comes to partying. Sure. Um, but so you ended up yeah. in, sorry, go on, finish. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I ended up in, in Amsterdam basically where I felt much more at home for some reason. Yeah. I just felt much more, much more comfortable there. Um, I'm not sure why, I, you know, I didn't learn German. I wasn't, I wasn't really able to maybe, you know, that I'm sure that has to do with s- something with it Uh, everybody in Amsterdam kind of speaks perfect English you know they're they're kind of they're kind of raised watching English cartoons Uh, so so yeah I I freaking love that city man I think that's I think it's honestly my favorite city in 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 all of Europe so yeah it's uh, it was pretty good
1: how long were you there for?
0: Uh, three and a half years something like that yeah yeah like three three and a half years and then the the pandemic happened. All oh, right. Yeah. So then I just came back came back to Miami and basically I've just been here the whole time. I got got back into coding and got back into just more crypto bullshit and uh, yeah, here we are.
1: Yeah. Okay. So last thing I wanted to talk about Uh, is a topic I haven't really gone into in much detail on the show prior to this which is kind of weird because I've had loads of like basically sound engineers on but I want to talk about production and and gear because you've got a pretty serious looking studio I I notice from your (laughs) social media right so tell me are are you are you a self-taught engineer or did you take classes like how did you first get into doing
0: it well I, I went to school at SAE uh, here in Miami, but I got to be honest, I didn't learn anything. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm YouTube, YouTube University over here for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah, YouTube University, and and yeah, trial and error. You know, uh, so I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I got to be honest. I I have like, <laughs> and and I like that approach. I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. I do know how to you know, I, I do know little things about other things. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, that I'm the best sound engineer, but I do know how to make my sound sound the way that I want it to. And I do know how to clean up audio and, and, and make things sound as good as possible, whether it's, you know, multi-gen, multi, multi multi-channels, like side, side, uh, side chain compression and little things that, you know, you just kind of figure out along the way. Uh, but there's so many other tricks and things that I do want to learn. So I I, I love the fact that it's just well, you can consistently learn. You know, you're you're ne- you're you're oh, never yeah. you're never not going to stop learning here.
1: It's so true. That's, I mean, I I love it as well. From that perspective, it's just like you can just spend time just messing around, not even making tunes. Just just like you know, just just fiddling with gear, and you you know, you realize you've you've learned some new shit. But how did you um? Like what was the what was the process of like developing your your workflow? Like, did you start off just using plugins and stuff, or did you? I mean, what was the what was the um, what was the journey to building what you've got
0: now? I've always been pretty gear based, actually. Um, I, I like the tactile response. I like being able to touch knobs. Um, I'm not into, you know, having to set velocity mapping and, you know, touch sensitive shit. Like, no, man, like, just, just let me touch a knob and move stuff. And the more hands I get on, like, I'll, dude, I'll have my little sister. I'll be like, can you just touch that knob right there? And I'm telling her to touch the cutoff when I'm doing something else. She has no idea what's going on. But the more hands on the synthesizer, uh, the better for me. Um, I tend to, yeah, I tend to do a lot of DSP processing. So a lot of my sound, comes from me being on an airplane, uh, processing that one sound and getting it to, you know, make us get the snare to end up sounding like a vocal or something. Uh, So that that's where a lot of like where I put a lot of emphasis on because I I don't know how to play instruments and I kind of keep it that way on purpose. I don't I barely know how to put my fingers on the keyboard, like how to properly place my fingers without hitting two keys at the same time. I I purposely leave that you know aside b- because it kind of it creates a different workflow for me and i have to be creative with something else you know doing making right. m- make it, like if it wasn't for dave smith and mitty i'm not exactly sure i would have a musical career <laughs> so
1: Yeah, it's really interesting actually. I mean, I I had MJ Cole on the show quite recently and he is a full on classically trained, you know, music degree holder sort of thing. And we had, we had the conversation about like, you know, to what extent is like theory and that side of the kind of knowledge aspect, like how important is it? And we kind of agreed that like, it's it's almost like it's sort of a nice grounding but it's 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 far from necessary and actually can get in the way sometimes to an extent without we know without wanting to um you know i I mean i know a bit of theory as well but and i'm kind of like slightly ambivalent about it but i mean i I guess the way the way i see it is like like if I was, if I was, if I had a son, for example, or, or a daughter, like I would encourage them to, to learn a bit, but like, I mean, like, you know, I think you're right to say that like, like having a lack of knowledge in, in in one area can stimulate your, your creativity in another.
0: I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way I've always looked at it. At least I, I, I come from a musical background, but I never, I was never into band. I was always a more of a break dancer so I, I was, I loved music, but I did not care to learn how to make music. I just knew what sounded good. I knew what sounded good enough. I knew what sounded like on key or off key. Or if you wanted to create some sort of tension and you purposely wanted to be off key, like your everything, for example, is completely off key. Man, that song is coming, but it mm-hmm. still it still sounds good. Uh, and and you know, like there there's a for me, there's like a scientific. Aspect to music as well, and mathematical aspect, which is kind of what drives me to it. Um, and uh, yeah, I I, I like not having not understanding what the hell D minor is. And and uh, dude, <laughs> I like I don't care, dude, like I don't care, does this sound good or not? You know, I, I don't, I really don't that's care. That's the
1: most important thing, man. If it yeah. sounds good, it sounds good, right? That's, that's yeah, exactly. and
0: most, yeah. I mean, you know, how much techno and how much electronic music is completely off-key, and and the purpose it sounds dope is because that that odd tension is there. I guarantee you, you know, like, if you go back into the old uh underground resistance records there's a lot of stuff on there that's you know that that is perfect it's not perfectly on key and that's 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 the magic
1: if you listen to like early hardcore records you know with the sped up vocals half the time the vocal is just in some completely different (laughs) key entirely to the rest of it but that's what makes it sound good you know like that's that's part of the aesthetic of it yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: do you remember what you used to make your everything like what kit
0: uh Yeah, the, the the synth was a Prophet 5. So the bass line came from a Prophet 5. Uh, the, uh, I think, I used an EMX-1, which is a blue synthesizer, the blue Korg synthesizer, and then I used mm. uh, and, uh, the EMS, which is the red version of that, that's a sampler. Um, and then, yeah, and then Ableton. But the vocals, right. yeah, the vocals were me. And then, I remember I pitched... I pitched the whole song up two or three semitones and then I sent it to my friend Luisa because I wanted a top line that sounded a bit more feminine or had a higher pitch in general. So I, I pitched the whole song up about three semitones, sent it to her. She recorded her, her vocals three semitones or four or even higher and then I pitched everything back down when I when oh, she right. sent me the vocal. So I, and, and then I mixed my vocal and hers and it kind of created that you know that uh that is yeah whatever whatever that processing vocal, texture of it that yeah, yeah the the, the the timber on it is is yeah, so the texture that I got out of that that 's how it was done, um but that was full experimentation like and oh, and I also had a friend do a trumpet like a a buddy of mine do trumpet on it, but yeah, that was all like experimenting, and I remember. I remember at that time for some reason I was really into uh man, what's his name from the Pachanga Boys? it's Rebolledo and uh man Super Pitcher. Right. Yeah. So I was really into Super Pitcher. Uh and i and I still am, I think that guy's an absolute genius. So I but I was listening to this one song called Joanna. And for some reason that song that Joanna super pitcher track drove me to make that your everything record and it's funny because the you're everything song the baseline and the kind of the whole melody is a song that i did in 2003 it's one of the first songs that i never released this thing called disconnect right. and i still have the i still have that original version and i actually used a little part of that disconnect stereo file in in that track um i don't know where the hell i was going with this but yeah i remember i remember listening to super picture during that whole time
1: <laughs> okay yeah and and so what's your what's your setup like now? Like what's what are the the what are your kind of like bits of kit that you um what are your go to things when you start a Well, starting, I guess you know
0: I I guess uh I mean starting a track I never really know I just kind of sometimes it'll be I'll go with an eight zero eight I usually that's that's pretty that or the Ramona are my two drum machines uh, I'm not I'm not big in, into the nine zero nine. But I usually, for for some reason, I'm very into FM synthesis at the moment. Uh, my FM synthesizer is uh, the and Sonic and then I have any Elese's Andromeda, which are which oh, yeah. I- is is my other synth that I always go to. Those are my first go-to's, and then. My big thing has to be the H9000, the Eventide H9000 uh, yeah. harmonizer. Yeah. So I run, right. I run everything through that. Everything gets ran through that. And I just come out with some insane sounds that I definitely, you know, what what came in is definitely not what's coming out. And that's where I, I, I tend to go from there. And that is one
1: bit of kit that I have wanted to get my hands on for a long time now. I need something. I'm just going to have to, uh, the it's a monster and, uh,
0: man it's such a monster that 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 thing is and, and it's I don't think it's going to go down in price much um, nope so it's but it's definitely the Lamborghini of of effect racks that's for sure for sure man yeah
1: man absolutely yeah alright so well I mean last question then I yep. mean I, I'm going to ask you a question that I got asked in an AMA which I thought was quite a good question it just fits with what we've just been talking about like if you've got three bits of kit to make a dance record what bits of kit do you, do you pick
0: yeah 808 immediately um, yeah uh, so yeah the 808 yeah the Eventide H9000 and the Andromeda <laughs> I think the things that I <laughs> right, just right
1: there you go <laughs> yeah
0: like I, I can I don't I honestly need nothing else in my studio than that that's all I need Because the 808, I can I can make it sound insane with the H nine thousand, and the Andromeda is an absolute beast of a synth. That's literally all you need. You don't need anything else.
1: What kind of processing do you do on the 808? Actually, with the H nine thousand,
0: I mean I'll do I'll do parallel, uh, just parallel stuff. But I usually what I do is get the kick stereo uh you know Mm -hmm. if i'll get the kick i'll get everything and run it through just the most random uh algorithm that they have uh and it'll create you know kind of like the the if if i I have a straight beat this thing gives you different rhythms and all of a sudden you have your you have your backbeat and you have that backbone of the you know maybe maybe a little bit more broken beat that's usually what i do with it so it's more parallel processing yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, either yeah, I can parallel process and you know kind of have a little bit of distortion, or create kind of more of a uh, not dynamic based, more of a of a, a time based effect that creates a little bit more a, a completely different beat yeah. on on the background. That's usually what I do with that.
1: Yeah, yeah man. I'm, yeah, I need to get one anyway. Listen, man, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for doing it. It's been great.
0: Yeah, dude. Cheers.
1: Yeah, that was Danny Days. And I really enjoyed that episode. He's an interesting dude with lots to say. And he's done some really interesting stuff over the course of his career. We didn't get into his uh, episodes as a pro tennis player, which I'm kicking myself for not having explored um, (laughs) listening back to that conversation. But yeah, he's just, as I said, an interesting person and someone who's, you know, pushing things forward, I think, genuinely. You know, and I think what he had to say about the diversity issue was thoughtful. And I really hope that we can discuss that issue as adults, you know, because like there's so much bullshit that surrounds it. So much name calling and so much just acrimony around the whole thing. And I think if we can just agree on some goals and then perhaps agree to disagree on some of the ways of getting there and have that conversation, then I think we'd all be served much better. Anyway, not going to bang on about that too much. Remember to sign up for the Patreon if you feel so inclined. Patreon.com slash official is two tiers, the upper of which gets you basically on the Hot Flush promo list. But in addition to that, there's exclusive music as well as the stuff we're putting out on Hot Flush. So as I mentioned at the top, there's an exclusive SCB track going up there this week. And yeah, we're just going to do everything we can to get as much cool shit up there as possible for the people who are supporting. And as I said, we'll be extraordinarily grateful if you would do us the favour of supporting because really all we're doing with the money from that is building the show. So we're going to be spending it on advertising, going to be spending it on better production, ultimately moving to some video content, I hope. And um, we need resources to do that. So if you want to support us, that's the way to do it. Patreon.com slash scuba official. Anyway, if you're not doing that, as you're not, because you're listening to this version of my outro, (laughs) uh, leave us a review or a rating. It really helps. And if you want to support us without giving money, that's the best way to do it. Join us in the Discord, hotflushrecorders.com slash Discord. If you've got anything to say, any suggestions, any blowback, all that stuff, keep it there. And follow that Spotify playlist, link in the show notes. I will see you back here, same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving podcast. Thank you.
0: Not a diving podcast. Let's go, wow.